Once again, welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast hosted by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this series, we talk with company management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is John Butler. I'm the Senior Telecom Analyst in Bloomberg Intelligence. And with me today is Pardeep Kohli, President and CEO of Mavenir. Thanks for joining us, Pardeep, and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast. Pardeep, if we could, for the listeners who aren't familiar with Mavenir, I thought we'd start with a brief overview of what the company does, and maybe you could provide us a little bit of color on the main product lines as well and and where you're really focused right now. Thanks, John. Thanks for the opportunity. So Mavenir, we are a company, private company with over 6,000 people headquartered in Richardson, Texas. company started in 2005, so we have kind of grown from three, four people to or 6,000 people now over the last 16 years. So what company does is we, we provide software to telecom operators and, and telecom operators use that software to provide all the applications which consumers use. So I'm sure, you know, we all use the cell phones and our customers are AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. So when you make a phone call or send a message, leave a voicemail or just do a pure data connection, there's a software running on the handset which companies like Apple or Samsung make, but there's a software running on the network side as well, which is then used to actually complete the functions which uh, consumers want to do. So we provide that software. So we are the only North American company left, right, which has an end-to-end software stack, which you can use to you know, build a mobile network. And that includes products for radio access, you know, to connect your handset over the radio interface do a data connection. So those products are called packet code to make a voice call. We do voice over LTE, voice over Wi-Fi, messaging, you know, SMS, MMS, voicemail. So if, if you look at everything which a consumer does, our software gets involved. We have over 250 operators worldwide. Those operators have over 4 billion subscribers. So effectively think of it, you know, half of the human population uses our software on a daily basis for one application or the other. And we're going to drill down on ORAN in just a moment, but I thought if you could give us a flavor for where your, most of your revenue is generated today. Today, I mean, our company started focusing on the core applications first, right? So most of our revenue even today is in the core applications, making a voice call, send a message. We are the largest, you know, market share in the messaging space, uh, you know, sending a short message or MMS. Um, or RCS, and then making a voice call. So, so it's more in the application layer. The packet core and the radio are our growth segments. Uh, so, but that's still not you know majority of our revenue today. It's still in right. the application layer. So let's talk a little bit about ORAM because I think really it's central to your growth strategy as we look into the future. And I was wondering if you could tell us. You know, there's a lot of talk about ORAN disrupting the traditional telecom equipment market. If you could tell us what elements you foresee getting displaced by this transition to ORAN and where you fit in that whole model. So in a company, uh, historically, right, we looked at uh, any application which was getting done on a proprietary hardware. And when it could be done as a software or a general purpose computing, or open silicon, we got into it, right? So when the company actually started in 2005, just to even make a voice call, people were building 
proprietary hardware, right? So of course we did it as a software running on a standard Intel servers. Similarly, I know just doing a data connection, companies like Cisco, Juniper were building hardware routers. So it was, you know, and when that became as a software layer, we started doing that in 2012, 2013. About five years ago, we looked into the radio area and we concluded that now the general purpose computing technology has advanced so much that even the radio layer, the signal processing layer can be done on an open silicon and you don't need to build proprietary silicon for doing that. So, so that's where we kind of started investing about five years ago. So, so what we do is, you know, in a radio layer, you obviously see when you drive around, you see towers and the towers, there are actually antennas. So those are hardware. You need them because that's what you do for transmitting and receiving of signals. But behind those antennas, there's actually a software which is driving, you know, what as an individual user gets to transmit or gets to receive, right? And that's the software which in the past was getting done on a proprietary hardware. But with the open RAN, we are able to do it on a standard Dell server or HP servers as a software. So that's what the company does. We actually do an end-to-end, you know, software to manage these, you know, radio towers. But also one of the things we found was that Somebody has to build those radios as well, which use open interface. Otherwise, you know, you can't build a solution. So we also got into the actual building the hardware as well two years ago, but I'll talk more about that in detail. But today in OpenRAM, we provide what is called a basement software to drive these antennas. And, uh, and that's what our contribution is. Got it. And I noticed though, recently you announced a radio hardware product. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about why you did that and, and your thoughts on what's going to remain hardware in ORAN and what could get virtualized. Today, all the radio systems are being supplied by companies who provide, you know, in a way, proprietary technologies with the proprietary interfaces, but they do an end-to-end work, right? So that way they provide the radio hardware, which goes on the towers, and then they provide the software, which talks to those radios. But those, the way it talks to those radios is all closed interface. So you can't mix and match, you know, the software from one vendor and hardware from another vendor. So when we started five years ago, we joined Open RAN Alliance. The whole concept of the Alliance was that you could actually have basement software for one vendor, and that could drive the hardware, which is on the tower from another vendor. So for example, you know, Nokia Ericsson could be doing the hardware and we could be doing the software and that can work. But what we are finding is that, you know, all the incumbents which had the complete solution are not opening up their hardware to interact with our software. So what that means is that for me to provide a solution, I need to have that hardware, right? And there's no independent companies coming up to build a big portfolio because it's a chicken and egg. They don't see a go-to-market. They don't see, you know, a way to sell. So no, so they're not building uh, the hardware. And we as a software company, if I don't have the hardware to, to drive it, I cannot sell my software. So that's where we, you know, we raised uh, money last a uh, couple of years ago. Now we actually building, we have a you know, design team of over uh, you know, 350 people in mostly in the U S market. We are working with JBL and manufacturing most of the, you know, radios and we are building that hardware and that supports open interface so that it can work with anybody's basement. And that's what we announced. We call it like open beam radios. And even though it's a hardware and, but we provide it as an open interface so that it not only works with our baseband software, but it could work with, you know, even Ericsson Nokia's baseband if they want to work with our radius. 
I think Nokia is a little more open to open brand than Ericsson. That's correct. Based, well, based on what I've time, seen. They will all get there. <laughs> yeah. See, it's one of those things, right? That it's, it's a, nobody can challenge not having an open interface. They all try to resist it. But then, you know, at some point they understand that that's where the future is and that's where they need to go. What is the timeline in your mind? You know, ORAN has been out there for a while. You know, it's been a theme at Mobile World Congress, even CES for a while. But I'm wondering, as you look down the road, when do you see broad scale deployment? So first of all, right at the end, as a consumer, you know, when I use my handset, I don't know, or I don't even care, right? Whether the radio I'm talking to is open RAN or not, or right. So as a consumer, we all like my handset to work the way it works, right? And today these handsets, they actually, because of all the work, which, you know, companies like Qualcomm did or Intel did on the same handset, you know, the one I have, it's Android based solution. And similarly, you know, Apple has a similar thing in the same handset, you can do 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, and it all works. And so if you're not in a 5G coverage, it attaches to 4G. And if you're not in a 4G and 5G coverage, in the markets, the 2G, 3G is still there, it attaches to 2G, 3G, right? So there's an expectation from the operators that even on the network side, the software which we have can do 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, right? And because that's what the handsets are expecting, right? Uh, so, so that has been a challenge. You know, if you look at the existing vendors, they did two, started doing 2G starting in 1993. So they took about five, six years to do 2G. Then they took another five, six years to do 3G. Then they took another five, six years to do uh, 4G. And they took another four, five years to do 5G. So what we are talking about here is replacing or coming on par with something which other people took 25 years, right? And when you say, okay, OpenRAN has been there for, effectively it's only last five years. So think of this way, in last five years, what we have done which other companies took 25 years to do, right? And now when we deploy our software, it can actually do 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, but does it does that with an open interface, right? So in some ways, I think unless you understand it fully, you don't appreciate what what the deal what we're dealing with here because in in, in that sense, you know, everything which other people had 25 years to do, we had only five years, and we got that done. But now we're at a point where it can start getting to that point, right? And, and you have to view it from a consumer perspective. So if somebody replaces, say, one of the Huawei sites or Ericsson site with our software, right? And the existing site was able to do 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, which means that in that neighborhood, if somebody had a you know, home alarm or a, a, any old handset, which was only 2G, 3G, and that was working, if all of a sudden that stops working, nobody's going to like it, right? So that means if you replace our you know, existing site with our site, we have to be at least the same parity level with the incumbent, even though we are doing open RAN. So that's what has been the challenge to get to feature parity. But we are now at that point, you know, where we have achieved that. And now I, I see like more, you know, progress going forward. And it's funny, we can't talk about Mavenir in the U.S. at least without talking about Dish. So if you don't mind, I, I realize you can't, talk a whole lot about your customers, but I would like to talk about some of their co public commentary. So we, I covered Dish and it, it's interesting to hear them. They've, they've come an awfully long way. They have a big trial going on in Las Vegas, as you know, 
and the CEO there, Charlie Ergen, said, we're almost there, but we're still struggling with voiceover new radio or voiceover 5G and some of the E911 services. I was hoping you could speak to some of the challenges there and some of the other hurdles before we're at a point where we can say, wow, you know, ORAN is really ready for prime time here. Yeah, so, uh, so John, I mean, it's, I would say Las Vegas is not trial. Actually, they are, they've started using now as a, they call it friendly users, but these are the real customers. So there's actually, my understanding, it started going live today, right? So where you can have external customers using the network as well. So, so this is, as, as you know, is in, in, in a way, the fourth operator starting from scratch. And what they have done is from the very beginning adopted open RAN, but they also did one more thing. They also adopted cloud. So in some ways, if you think about all their uh, deployments, they don't have their own data centers. All the applications are running on uh, AWS. Uh, this is all publicly announced. So in some ways, they actually made two quantum jumps in one shot, right? I mean, so when they're building the network, they're not only adopting open RAN, but also adopting cloud. Right. And uh, so that's actually the interesting part in the information technology perspective. Uh, now, yeah, again, the same, same discussion I had previously for them to go live, they need to have, you know, all the services working the same way AT&T and network or Verizon or T-Mobile works, right? Which includes all applications, voice and, you know, messaging and everything else. And that's where it, it gets a little tricky. Existing networks, right? AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, they had a 4G network. So even today, when everybody talks about 5G rollouts and everything, the other three operators, none of them actually have launched voice ONR today. That means when the voice call, when, when you pick up a 5G phone and make a phone call, the call still goes on 4G. Because what they do is they run the what is called voice over uh, LTE, and, and that's uh, running on the 4G technology. So in, in a way, the whole, the whole stack, which includes the handset, the software on the radio side, plus the packet core, Nobody in the world today has launched, as far as I know, voice or not. So this will be, I believe the dish is the most forward. And also the dish is doing it in FTD's spectrum because most of the 5G that other people are doing is in C-band or what is called TDD spectrum mostly. So dish is actually doing voice ONR carrier aggregation in FTD spectrum. And they are, you know, testing the whole stack and it's, it's getting there. I mean, I, I think, you know. Overall, right? Nobody has done this worldwide and they will be the first one doing it. So that means it's not only the handset issues, it's the network issues and all the interoperability issues. And, but now we have reached a point, as I said, that they are actually going live or semi-live today with the friendly customers and all of these things are working. That's actually great to hear. I, in fact, Telefonica spoke at Mobile World Congress. And as you know, they have a number of, of beta trials going on and they, they, the head of their ORAN unit was talking about those beta trials. And, you know, she cited still some interoperability issues that they need to overcome, as well as integration with legacy hardware. And I was wondering if you could speak to that, like whether most of those issues are behind us at this point, or if we still have a couple of wrinkles to iron out, if you will. Telefonica, right? In most places, they are, they are called, you know, we call them like brownfield uh, operator, right? So they have, of course, the existing technologies, 2G, 3G, 4G, and now they're deploying 5G. Now, the, the issue is that the way these standards are defined, you know, in 3GPP, it was largely done by companies like Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, 
And what these vendors did is they actually made sure that in the markets they're already operating in 4G, it's very difficult to come as a 5G overlay, right? And so that means you have to buy 5G from them because you had their 4G, right? So they, in some ways, they use their installed position to kind of create barriers for a new guy to come in. So even though there are a lot of interfaces which are defined, they don't support them. So which means that if I'm coming as a 5G new vendor and using Open RAN, for me to come into a market, let's say I live in, you know, in, in, in a close to Dallas, Texas, and if somebody has an Ericsson network today on 4G, for me to come in as 5G and working with the existing 4G, right, the handset, you know, Apple handset or Samsung handset doesn't care whether it's Ericsson or Ravenair. So the handset is going to do, you know, what is the best signal and it's going to de detect Ericsson 4G and Ravenair 5G and try to do the operations to, to make it work. But if Ericsson doesn't make it easy for a, somebody else to come in as a 5G so that the handset can actually work and do the proper operation, then you have to buy a 5G from Ericsson, right? So that's what's really happening is that, you know, in most of the operators, they want to bring in a new vendor, but for them to bring in, us in, they have to make sure that we can coexist with the existing players, right? That's where this concept, what you talked about, the interoperability part comes in. Uh, of course, some operators have taken that as a challenge and they've worked with companies like Ericsson, Nokia and said, okay, you have to work with Mavenier and you have to do this, what is, what needs to be done. But there are other, other operators who either because of contract reasons or they don't have the strength uh, of, I guess, their own technical teams or, you know, for whatever reason, it's difficult for them to maneuver these existing vendors and that becomes a challenge for us to come in. So then the only option left is we go to place Ericsson or Nokia, right? So that actually increases our cost then because if they cannot coexist with us, that means we have to remove them, right? And which means that whatever has already installed has to be replaced, which in some cases makes sense because it was already old equipment and needed to be replaced anyway, in which case we can go replace it. But if it was had few years more left in, in its uh, amortization, then there's a cost now to replace it, and that becomes a barrier to entry. With that in mind, I'm going to revisit what we were talking about a moment ago, which is broad-scale adoption. If you had to make a prediction as to when we would see that real ramp up in ORAM, where it really gets embraced by the industry as a whole, and I don't mean every carrier, but really see broad-scale adoption, is it two years three years, five years, eight years, and is it here in the U.S. or is it mostly in Europe, which is sort of my bet, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So I'll, I'll give you a, you know, my own background, you know, so before Mavnir, I had another company called Spatial Wireless. So what we did was, if you remember, you know, in 1995, there were actually two standards, GSM and CDMA. There was actually a third standard which companies like AT&T and, you know, at that time it was Southwestern Bell adopted, was called TDMA, right? And what happened was that was a 2G technology, but when 2G to 3G happened, the TDMA didn't have any forward path. So, so basically, you know, they, everybody aborted that and companies like AT&T Wireless and, you know, what, what used to be called Singular at that time had to jump from TDMA to GSM. Right. And that was, that happened uh, starting in 2000. So at that time, you know, to do a voice call, companies like Ericsson, Nokia, Nortel at that time were building 
proprietary hardware. So they used to have racks and racks of, you know, hardware, which enabled people to make phone calls. So my previous company, what it did was it did actually software on Sunspark servers, right? And we actually made a voice call work on a Sunspark server. So that means you didn't need to build proprietary hardware. And we did it kind of put a distributed architecture, which means you didn't need everything in one place. Um, so you could actually, you know, keep the control plane in, in a New York, but have the actual bearer plane in Rochester. So the, what, what was happening was that somebody, like say you and I are sitting in the same room in Rochester to make a phone call. The call used to come from Rochester to New York City and then go back because they had the switching in New York City. But with our architecture, you could keep the control plane in New York City, but the bearer plane, the actual media could stay in Rochester, which means that you save the backhaul cost and everything else, right? And you need less space in New York City. So the very first sale we made of this architecture was in Manhattan. And the reason was that, you know, it was Ericsson, uh, customer had Ericsson equipment and they needed more capacity. And at that time, everybody was growing, the more people were using phones and there was a growth coming in. And what they concluded was that even if Ericsson gave the equipment for free, it was more expensive because to use Ericsson equipment, you needed to buy real estate in New York or rented real estate in New York. Versus in our case, you only need the control plane in New York. The bureau plane could get distributed in New Jersey and Rochester and other places. And, and that way, you know, so, so it, once it worked, of course, it took us three years to make it work, get feature parity. But once it worked, it took us two years to replace 100% Ericsson, Nokia, not allowed of this market, right? And the reason was very simple, that when it worked, it was so uh, cost-effective that for other reasons like power, real estate, you know, all those things, you know, capital is one part, right? But you're paying, you know, bill every day, you, every month, you're paying electricity every month, right? So that's what I see with Open RAN as well, that when it will work and we have proven it works, every year, if you look at the capital budget of the U.S. operators, right, everybody spends between 10 to $15 billion at least. You know, I saw numbers on Verizon and AT&T, which are between 15 to 20 billion every year. Right? And then they have an OPEX to go with it. So in some ways, you know, the way I say it is, okay, there's a party every day. And if you, if you come two days later, there's still a party going on. Right? So in some ways, you know, if there's a growth in the market, there's money being spent every year. So if I can come at any point when it says it's ready, I can actually say, that, okay, let's, let's state up Texas, Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile. If you deploy us, deploy us in state of Texas, you will recover your investment in less than two years because CapEx plus OpEx with all the benefits which we offer will reduce your cost. Then it won't really matter what they have. They will replace it, uh, you know, because it, it's just an ongoing cost, which is cost prohibitive, right? So that's how I see it, that when it will, once we have gained maturity and it works, it will take less than two years to get the whole thing replaced, right? And, uh, and that's what we are getting ready to, right? I mean, it has to work as good or better, it has to be cheaper. It has to become easier from CapEx and OpEx, and it has to be more forward looking. So this is what I uh, offer as a challenge as well, that if you look at Ericsson Nokia, they are not a semiconductor companies. They build their proprietary ASICs, right? But they're not as good as what you would think, you know, Intel or Qualcomm or Marvell or those companies are. If you look at the R&D budget of NVIDIA or Qualcomm, or, you know, Marvel or the, these people. NVIDIA alone is $5 billion a year, right? So 
what we are actually doing is we are making our software run on open silicon, which means benefit I get is all the R&D, which all the semiconductor companies are investing. If I can make my software run on that open silicon, I can take the advantage of all of that much faster than Ericsson or Nokia and other people can because for them, they have to build a chip of their own first. That takes about two years. Then they have to write a software on that chip, which has a longer lead cycle. Versus in my case, if NVIDIA is coming up with a new chip every year and they give me the tools where my software, which I wrote on the previous chip, can immediately go to this new chip without changing, I get to use the latest chip cost and benefit so fast, right? Then I, this will, that means 6G, there's no special hardware required. So if you buy my software today, it's already 6G ready because it doesn't need a new hardware, right? So that's where I think, you know, we, we believe it will go. Uh, of course, you know, certain operators understand it, certain CTOs understand it, but the other CTOs in the world who all they care about is how much coverage they have and do they have more blue hair or red there and, you know, and so if you're worrying about all oh, like how much coverage I have today, then you look, okay, what is available to you? Let me go buy it. But if you look at, okay, three years from now, five years from now, what is the most cost-effective way for me to do my business, right? Then you will have a different answer. So I think people are going to get there. I just, uh, you know, it's a matter of time. Time takes time, as the same as <laughs> I think. And it's that patience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but on a, just one last sentence, right, uh, is that, you know, we, we had a radio business. So we did about 530 million in 2020 revenue. Our radio was less than 10 million. In 2021, we did 650 and our radio is close to 100 million. So we grew 10 times between 20 and 21 in the radio business. So, so is 100 million good enough? And this year, our target is 200 million. So 200 million is still a small number as compared to, you know, 90 billion market. But for us, it's say, you know, we grew from 10 million to 200 million in two years. So are we succeeding? I would say we are succeeding. I would too, by the way, that's an impressive <laughs> growth rate. And, and by the way, that's actually, only software. So if you look at along the hardware, everything else we sell, our 200 million is equivalent to over 2 billion for if you add other pieces, which we don't sell, but customer buys directly, right? Right. Uh, because they buy Dell servers directly. They buy radios from other people. Right. So in, in that sense, if we do an equivalent comparison of what, what the total value we replaced is over $2 billion. So as the story comes together here, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question. You probably get a lot, you know, you came to market and we're flirting with an IPO. You step back because it wasn't the right time. I'm wondering if that's still a consideration, particularly now that you know, the narrative is coming together well and you have numbers to, to back it. Yeah, so I think that was the issue for us, right? In, when we tried doing IPO in 2020, it was that, you know, we knew where it is going to go. So we knew that, okay, next year will be 100 million, but the year had not happened, right? So on that year, actually, you know, we had only six months of data. And at that time, I had like 2 million revenue in the first half of 2020. So it was tough to build a story that, okay, I'll do 2 million in, first half of 2020, but by the way, I'll do hundred million in 2021, right? right? And, and people are, okay, we'll, we'll see how it happens, right? So, so we didn't actually get the value we were looking for in the public space, but good thing was Coke Industries came in and they actually, you know, gave us the value we were looking for. 
in a private environment. And so we took the private money, which is, you know, the whole idea of IPO was to get money, right? I mean, right. Uh, all right. So we got the money we needed that helped us grow, right? But now we actually have a track record. We actually did tell them we'll do 100 million. They didn't believe it. We actually did it now, right? So that means for next year when I, you know, so our goal is, of course, this year, you know, the markets are choppy and everything. So we'll see how it is in the second half. But let's see, even if things this year don't go as well, we'll look at next year. And and next year, you know, this could be half a billion dollar business on the radio alone. So, and then by that time, I think there'll be enough story built in. They should have gone live. Other operators should have made choices. We would have a contract. So, so it'll be much, in some ways, it will work out good for us. Right, exactly. And by the way, speaking of, the ramp in radio, we've spent all our time talking about ORAM, but there is that whole rest of the business, which I think is doing pretty well. I don't, I, I don't uh, senior year want to presume anything, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how, like to share a few on the other aspects of the business, how they're trending. From a and really, as you look ahead five years, what is your product roadmap? As I mentioned, right, then we know we have from the very beginning, you know, whenever there's a layer which we which was getting done in hardware can be done in software. We did the software for that, right? So of course we talked a lot about radio. The packet core was a similar story when people were deploying 4G. So if you look at the 4G started getting deployed, you know, in 2010, and at that time to do packet core, you had to build proprietary hardware, right? So, so most of the install base today is with proprietary hardware of Cisco and Juniper and those type of companies, right? So, but now as people are deploying 5G, the whole packet layer, core layer is becoming as a software. So, so we, I guess in 2020, giving you a similar example, we had 8 million uh, of revenue on the packet core. The last year in 2021, we did 60 million, right? So even in the packet core is growing very well. We have now one good contracts in uh, Europe, in some of the components in US as well, we are selling to all the, pretty much all the four, op four operators, including Dish. So that's picking up quite well. The other thing which is happening is that you know, as to deploy 5G. So when 4G came in, you could still do voice call on 2G, 3G and 4G for data, right? But now to do 5G uh, and 4G had a, you know, a technology that, okay, if I'm doing, watching a video and somebody calls me, the handset will stop the video and switch to 2G, 3G so that I can take a voice call. Now in a 5G phone, the 5G, when you're doing it, let's say watching a video on 5G, and somebody calls you, the handset doesn't go back to 2G, 3G. It goes back to 4G for voice. That means now you need to do voice on 4G, right? So there were a lot of countries uh, where people were still doing voice on 2G, 3G, and now they're planning to do 5G. So what's happening is that now they're actually thinking, oh my God, I can't do 5G voice and do voice because I haven't done my voice moved on from 2G, 3G to 4G. So our actually voice business is growing now in an indirect way because of 5G, because people are moving the voice from 2G, 3G to 4G, right? So we are gaining good contracts there. So we had a, you know, that business grew 10% as well year over year. So in that sense, right, over the next, if I go back, I mean, to answer your question on the, over the next three, four years, voice all over the world will be on 4G, which means we are the large, so today we have the largest market share in the voice as well and messaging which means as more and more adopted, we'll get that business. Packet core is growing as well because that is becoming more uh, software and of course with the radio. Great story, Pardeep, really. It's, uh, it's impressive. And thank you so much for your time today. Before we conclude, 
I, I thought I'd ask you, is there anything we haven't covered about Mavenir that you think listeners should know about? No, I think it's a, you know, we have good, good setup. I mean, I guess you're end-to-end portfolio on 5G radios, as well as the packet core and the applications for 6,000 people. We can actually operate in most of the key markets in the world. And we have support people there. We have over 1,500 people in Europe, close to 1,000 people in US. So I think we are, I guess, the next generation uh, company, which has promised to deliver the whole network software and we can run it on a private cloud and public cloud. So, so yeah, we, we had a good discussion. Thanks for the opportunity. More than enough, I think. Pardeep Kohli, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, congratulations on all your success to date and best of luck in the future. And thanks so much to our listeners for tuning in.